0: Did you know that the world's biggest swimming pool is in Chile? Hello and welcome to TripCast360, that podcast of live we banner about travel, lifestyle and entertainment. I am Michael Gordon Bennett and I am joined as always by Dave Cumberbatch. Dave, my friend, we have reached the end of season three. Did you ever think we'd be doing this this long?
1: I'm telling you, and that time went so fast. Um, But I guess that happens when you're having
0: fun. Yeah, I mean we've we've had some amazing guests. We've gone some through the audio airwaves of a podcast. We've gone to some great places: Morocco, Kenya, um, Paris a couple of times uh, on a food journey with our friend Jamie. Um, uh, Mexico, we, Hawaii. I mean, we, we we've accomplished quite a bit in three short years.
1: Yeah, and and Catherine, she is our globe trotter. She's all oh. over the. She's all over the globe. She's in Australia, jumping off of buildings. I don't know what it was. What's next? <laughs> uh,
0: well, for well for her that that uh, I know she's got some. I forgot to ask her what she has planned out for next year. I know she does. She's not traveling again until January. And By the way, for the audience listening, the reason we're talking about Catherine is she will be on in just a few moments to tell us about her adventures in Santiago, Chile, uh, which. Um, is actually on my bucket list. You know, sometimes my bucket list has destinations on it, and I can't explain why. But Chile was one of them. That's because you want to go every place. You just well you just, you just have to go. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, I, I was born a traveler thanks to my dad's military career, and uh, and I, I look forward to hopping on a plane and going someplace every single time uh, it comes up. You know, opportunity uh, presents itself. I'm ready.
1: I'm really happy with the way that the year ended. COVID, I don't want to say it's behind us. I've been listening to the news, and the numbers seem to be flaring up a little bit. But, you know, we're a lot more relaxed. You know, we know what to do. We know to wear our masks. You know, there are no airlines restrictions. And folks are just having a good old time, as, as indeed we should. Just be careful.
0: Yeah, I read an article, I think it was this morning or yesterday. And by the way, we're recording this in mid-December of 2022, for those of you who are um, are listening. Um, I read an article, and it said that because of the COVID vaccine, we've saved 3 million American lives just in just in the last year because people got vaccinated. That's a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really a lot. No, we've got to be concerned about um you know, it's it's flu season at this time. Then there's that other,
0: is it a virus or whatever? Yeah, it's a respiratory virus that's going around as well. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it's that time. I mean, I'm looking at you all bundled up. I'm I'm assuming it's somewhere in the 20s in New York right about now.
1: I'm in New York. It's cold, man. You in Vegas? Vegas, you is, know, you...
0: Vegas is not warm either. We woke up this morning. It was 31.
1: Wow. But you got the best up, of it. You. But you got the best of both worlds, you know. You are some days you're hot, some days you're cold. Uh, you know, you just have to
0: dress properly now. Yeah, welcome to living in the desert. So now that we've got 2022 in the books, after this uh, episode, what are you looking forward to in 2023? I'm really
1: looking forward to doing a significant amount of travel. You know, um, the benefits about travel, the the benefits of traveling. You know, or you know, you can't replace that. It opens up your mind. You learn a lot about other books, other cultures. You know, so I'm really looking forward to getting out there and traveling again and having those experiences.
0: Yeah, you know, the thing about travel is it, it teaches tolerance. It, it teaches acceptance of others. Um, you know, in addition to the the. I'm a history junkie, as I've told everybody who listens to us a thousand times over. And I like to sometimes see how cultures from other countries interact with our culture, because, you know, America, other than the Native Americans, America, it's got people from all over the world here. Um, And so that intersection between the French and the British and the Caribbean and Latin America and the Spaniards and the Asian American community, you know, when I see how all that comes together and how we have a potential to fit and make uh, mankind better that that's what travel's all about for me so i'm i'm ready for that oh yeah
1: and some you know that brought up something something was on the news recently about grainer the basketball player who was who was uh, arrested in russia and one of the things that they're saying is that we should follow the us and this, the state department's warnings do you do you follow those warnings when you travel
0: um, I I have to confess, I have not done a great job of that. And as a matter of fact, half the time, I don't even listen to them. The only time that I ever remember listening to a State Department warning was in 2004. I went to Fiji and my whole trip was planned out for me. The Fijian Tourism Board sponsored my trip. Everything was all planned out. The night before I left, for some reason, I went to the State Department website online. And it had a travel warning for Fiji because there was a coup there. So I picked up the phone and called my sponsor, and my sponsor started laughing. I said, well, why are you laughing? She goes, you know what a coup is, Michael, here in Fiji? And I said, no. I said, she goes, it's one guy with a gun who goes in there and tries to overthrow the government. But just in case there is a real coup here, there's an Australian warship sitting offshore, and we would get you onto that ship so you can get back to America. And so I went on the trip. I did see the Australian warship sitting about a mile offshore at one of the islands I was on. But if you talk to the people there, like I did, and I talked to the police, matter of fact, the general of the army was actually on my plane flying from LAX, and I brought it up to him, and he was just cracking up. <laughs> he says, you know, so it's kind of like the next time that I go to someplace that's actually really dangerous... Am I going to listen to the State Department warning? I don't know. I, I I don't even know how many travelers actually go and look before they leave.
1: That's what I was just going to say. I don't think most people go to the State Department's website to look at those ad, 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 advisories.
0: Yeah, I seldom did Now, With all that being said, if I were, you know, there's certain countries, and I'll, I'll, they'll remain nameless that I just won't go to because I know the dangers. I don't need the State Department to tell me it's dangerous there. You know, um, but there are other places that, you know, maybe on the iffy side a little bit that leans more toward it's acceptable to get there. Um, but, yeah, I, I I often wonder how many people actually really pay attention to those warnings. Not many at all. Not many
1: at all. But, yeah, but you know, you asked the question what I look forward to. I'm looking forward to traveling. I don't have to go to those countries that are risky like that but i'm really looking forward to traveling
0: yeah matter of fact i i actually am more concerned about my health in terms of traveling to a destination than i am worrying about um danger from other sources because i you know like you we pay attention to the news we know where the trouble spots are around the world because we pay attention but for those of you and, I, and please don't get us wrong but those of you who do not travel often and you need a level of comfort i would strongly encourage you to go to the state department website because sometimes you can go to certain parts of the country and it's perfectly safe and then you go to other parts of a country and it could be a danger zone so you know um I, I just don't need that level of comfort like i said um but you know it is what it is and as regards to Brittany griner i am for one glad she's back on american soil um And, uh, hopefully the world here in the United States will give her time to heal a little bit and and respect her privacy and and stuff like that. She'll speak when she's ready to speak and not a minute before. So I I just hope everybody uh, respects that, you know, she's been through an ordeal. None of us know what it is, but we just have an idea of what it could be. So just, you know, give her her space. Uh, She'll speak when she's ready. That's right. uh, With all that. With all that being said, let's jump into today's podcast. But before I do, let me dispense with the obligatory comments and and how you follow us. Um, Our podcast, this podcast, is available pretty much anywhere you get a podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google, uh, you name it, we're there. But if you forget any of that, the best place to check us out is on our own website, TripCast360.com. That's TripCast360.com. Um, and so we're, you know, as this season ends up, we'll, well, in January, we'll start our season four and we're looking forward to some of the exciting destinations and maybe just a tweak of a format change, uh, coming up next year. So that's one thing. We're also on social media. We're on, uh, Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram and our YouTube channel is coming along, although it's not ready for public consumption just yet. Uh, but we're getting there. So. Check us out. Uh, Our handle on all three is TripCast360, so you shouldn't have a hard time finding us. And of course, you could also check out our website, TripCast360.com. And lastly, if you have any uh, uh, suggestions for show topics you would like us to cover, send us an email. And our email address is contact at TripCast360.com. So without further ado, we'll get to today's guest. Our guest today is Catherine parker Maguire. As you know, she has been on our show so many times I have lost count. They probably at least a dozen, would you guess? Um, yeah. <laughs> today, Catherine is going to take us on a trip to Chile, one of the places that is actually on my bucket list. I have never been. Uh, would love to go. Uh, it's more than just, uh, well, what's it, Tierra del Fuego down at the southern tip. There's more to yes. that place than the and it's more than the Atacama Mountain Ranges, which we all know is the driest place on earth. So Catherine has gone. I think you've been at least once, maybe twice. Um, but uh, we're going to learn a lot from her. Uh, and just so you'll know, uh, check out Catherine is a noted travel writer. She's been writing. I won't date you, Catherine. She, she's been writing for a while. Uh, a lot of her stories. are Five course, years, like, I think. Five years. Okay. I, okay. I was trying to help me. a sister
2: out, but okay. Um, you can age me. I want people to think I'm distinguished and ancient.
0: <laughs> they call professors that, don't they? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Everybody should go and check out her website, CatherineParkerMeguero.com. All of her social media handles are there. But uh, what's more important is all of her great stories and content are there. And please subscribe to her newsletter. It will pop up as soon as you go to her website. So without further ado, Catherine, let's head off to Chile. Dave, take her away.
1: Well, Catherine, like Michael mentioned, you have been to so many parts of the globe. Uh, I'm sort of curious as to if you've been to to all of the continents, but nevertheless, you've traveled a whole lot. And Michael said today we're doing Chile. Give us sort of a bird's eye view of Chile in from a traveler's perspective. And as we move on, we'll dive a bit deeper into the culture, Mm the food, and all the exciting things that a traveler wants to do and see.
2: Totally, it's funny, Michael, that you said that Chile was on your bucket list because it has been on mine for a long time as well. And I think a lot of that is due to Patagonia and Chile and Argentina are the last stops before Antarctica, and there's the focus on the wilderness. But the trip that I actually did this fall was to Santiago. So I was like, I really want to go to Chile. I'm really curious about Santiago, but I didn't know what to expect. You know, because sometimes when you're so in love with like the nature element in the mountains. You don't you sometimes I think city travel can be hit or miss. But Santiago I found was so spectacular because it reminds me my favorite place in America is Jackson Hole, which is this town village surrounded on every single side by mountains. So wherever you look, there's a view. You know, and then you're in the valley and there's this mountain. It's like there's mountains everywhere. And then just outside is just like so much wilderness. You can do day trips. So I found it to be a really cool mix of like the cultures that the food is so good. The restaurants are amazing. The bars are amazing. Like the nightlife, like the, I went to the pre-Columbian museum and it's really fascinating because I was learning about the the Mapuche, Mapuche people that I hadn't known much about before. And I've always been interested in pre-Columbian, South America and Central America. And just going to Chile, I would say it's almost like a perfect trip for a long weekend, which you wouldn't think. I think people think if I'm going to Chile, I've got to do three weeks, two weeks. I've got to go to Patagonia. But the thing is, is the exchange rate isn't horrible. Flights aren't bad. And like there's so much to do and see in Santiago and the surrounding regions that like that's a worthwhile trip in and of itself.
0: Nice, nice. I, I was reading the uh, article that you posted on your website. I think you call it a, a criminal. What did you call it here? I got to pull it back up. Criminally I,
2: underrated. I, yeah.
0: Criminally <laughs> underrated. That was a great metaphor. I love that. But <laughs> people makes,
2: there, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, you, you're right. I think a lot of times we forget that Santiago is sitting there. I mean, yeah, I don't know what people think who've never been to Chile before, but thinking about the Atacama Desert or Patagonia, it seems like that's the only thing people think about. And mm-hmm. it never made a lot of sense to me. I mean, most most Americans don't really know about Chile and it's sitting right there in their own backyard.
2: I know, because I think with South American cap- like cities, with urban travel, they think Cartagena, they think Bogota, they think Buenos Aires, Rio. Like there are other cities that come to mind before someone's going to think of Santiago. And it's funny because I was at this cultural center um, and one of the curators was like, oh, so you're going to write about Santiago. That must be tough, right? Because people don't really want to read about it. And I was like, that's so interesting you say that. And I guess that it is true. It's in an interesting place. Like there aren't so many Americans there. Like I saw a lot of Americans on the plane with their Patagonia duffel bags going to Patagonia. And then mm-hmm. the rest of the time I was Ablo espanol, which I was loving, but it's definitely underrated. I would compare it though, having just come from Peru. To me, it's a mixture between Lima, which is like the like, cosmopolitan capital mm-hmm. and sort of, I mean, things are at, like the nightlife, like the restaurants that, dude, the people. It's like the New York of Peru mixed with Cusco. Which has like the traditions and the heritage, but mainly just the views, because you know it is really rings by the Andes, and I don't think people recognize how beautiful Santiago is because there are so many other places in Chile that they'd that they think they'll go first. But one of my things as a travel writer, we've said this with Rwanda, we've said this with Kenya, like you need to stay in Kigali or Nairobi, or you need to stay. You can't immediately go off on your adventure retreat. Like I think it's important to have a mix. And right. this just goes along with that.
0: Just, just out of curiosity, how many feet above sea level does this city sit? I'm
2: going to have to tell you. It's not that bad Okay. because I just got back from Puno and I was ill, even with my meds. That was like 13,000 feet. So let's
3: see.
0: Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh.
2: Yeah, but I was fine. With- but yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know like, you know, where you went in Peru, there, there are 8,000 feet above sea level in certain areas. And I know the mountain range, to so the north of Chile is the second highest mountain range in the world. So I was just curious because I always see those beautiful snow-capped mountains that surround Santiago. And that's the other thing, too. When you're that far south, you don't realize that it's kind of like being, you know, as far north as New York City is in North America. But you're on the opposite side and your seasons are reversed.
2: And the weather is insane. Like, it gets 100 degrees. It gets below freezing. I'm like, how are you people surviving? And in a day, I found, I found this in Peru, though, too. I'm always layering. I'm always hot. To quote Katy Perry, I'm hot, than I'm cold. So that's, <laughs> that's what the weather is like. It's actually it's in the Central Valley. It's only 1,000 feet above sea level. It's really not an issue that's at all. It's not bad at all, yeah. And that's why I think it reminds me of Jackson Hole, because Jackson Hole is in a high alpine desert. It's so, valley and then out of nowhere you have these really dramatic mountains and then you know the congregation of people that are living are sort of in the center so the sun sets particularly from the rooftop of the W Santiago which is one of the better rooftop bars I've ever been to in my life it just turns the sky like this like light pink and the mountains suddenly you know the city lights start to dwindle and it just becomes a light show in the sky with like the pink and then the orange and I mean, I'm, I'm explaining to you, it's just, it's gorgeous. And I think when you Google Santiago, they give you skyscrapers, they don't really give you a sense of it as much. Like that was a revelation to me.
0: Right. What is the name of that big 64-story building? You just alluded to it. Um, the one that just kind of juts up out there. Because it's such a big thing. I, I put a picture of it on our website. Uh, this, you got the 64-story building and everything else is so small in comparison to it. It just sticks out.
2: I have a hot take. I don't think it's, wor- okay, so it's the tallest building in South America, and I'm really happy for them and for Chile and for Santiago that they can claim that. But it's definitely a pit stop. It's not like an all day thing, you know, mm-hmm. like, you go up, at the end of the day, like, I am more of a nature human. So like, a cityscape doesn't excite me as much as like, apparently some of my friends on Instagram who are always posting the New York skyline. So maybe for them, it would have been a huge deal. But it was just, it's cool. They have a coffee shop. They have Pisco Sours. And it's interesting. You get a sense of the scale of the city. And also it's crazy because the mountains still feel, it's funny because the mountains both loom over you and then feel impossibly far away. Because of I, do,
0: I just wanted to make sure that you were not tempted to jump off it like you did in New Zealand. That's all I was asking. New
2: Zealand, <laughs> I was down. You couldn't even jump off this. if you. Everything was, I think pretty much all of it was covered. But we did do... We, you know what we did do in sort of – we obviously didn't climb as high, but San, Santa Lucia Hill, it's in the middle. So it's known by, like, the native Mapuche people as Quellen Hill. Um, and it's – you climb all the way to the top, and you learn so much history on your way to the top, like just the guides that we had that just work with Santa Lucia Hill. And then the views there, because you're in the midst of it, you're in the city – and then you've got this like beautiful architecture and nature's overcoming some of it and all of this history. I would really recommend doing that. And that and it's a little bit of a workout in the sense like first thing in the morning, I was like I'm dead, but it wasn't so much of a workout that you're discouraged. So, I think that should be something you do on like your first day. And that I have two others things that I think you should do in Santiago proper because one of the things about Santiago is you can do day trips really easily so you spend some days in the city and then you go to the surrounding areas
1: you said earlier that Chile was on your back bucket list for all the reasons that Chile was on your bucket list if you can if you can elaborate on those for all the reasons that it was what else did you learn that really really excited you
2: I didn't realize how fashionable and glamorous Chile was. You know, I just think Argentina always has that reputation, somewhat Colombia. But Chile, everyone is very attractive. The restaurants, like it's all like, it's very luxurious and very cosmopolitan. And I'm not saying that in the sense of, oh, you know, I assume that it wasn't because I think of Patagonia. Like I don't consider Boston luxurious and cosmopolitan, but but Santiago is. You know, so that was something. And then learning just a bit about the history of the Chilean people, like the Chilean horseback, the horses, like Spain, the Spanish came over with 500 horses. And the Chilean people trained them to do, because they're now basically the way that they developed is they have short legs, but they're very agile. So they can do all of these tricks and traditions that we went to Pirque, which is in the countryside, that are preserved to this day. And I think when you haven't been to a country before, it's always such a revelation, and I've been to Peru, yeah. I've been to Brazil, I've been to Ecuador, I've, I've been to um, somewhere else. That's embarrassing. That I don't remember. No, I think that's no somewhere else. And you see some similarities, but then every country in South America has such a distinct, unique identity, particularly with like the colon, with the Spanish like colonialization. And in I was in Chile and Peru, sort of back to back, and both times I went there, there like there's a renewed interest now in people reclaiming their indigenous, indigenous heritage. Because it used to be something that people were less likely to delve into or identify with. And now, like the Museum of Pre-Columbian History in Chile, that's only 30 years old. And it's amazing. And there's sparking an interest and sparking a movement. And it's exciting to learn, to learn history almost alongside people who are still discovering it. Like they're still discovering artifacts. So that element was also fascinating.
0: Let's go to my favorite subject, food. (laughs) What was that cuisine like? I've heard a lot of really great things about cuisine. What was
2: it like? I mean, there are a couple places that I would say you just need to go to. But the first one would be Barajo, which is one of, it's called like one of the best restaurants in the world, like not just South America, but basically the idea is that all of the products and all of the ingredients are going to be indigenous from Chile. So that, you know, the spoon that you're using, the bowl that you're using, everything looks like a work of art, which can sometimes be a little bit gimmicky, you know? Everything was delicious. Like, I didn't realize that mushrooms had so many different types of flavors that I would be emotionally invested in. It's like a 13-course tasting menu, and it changes every single day. And then it has an endemic wine pairing. And that was something I always knew about Argentinian wines, but Chilean wines is a whole other ballgame and it's delicious. And really it's owned just because of the terroir and because, um, yeah, mainly the terroir and like the way that the wine and shoes developed, like they have some amazing Cabernets, but there's a name of one drink that I am going to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's called Permenye. Carmenere, Carmenere, which is sort of a blend. It's a specialty of like that region around Santiago. And I'm not a red wine lover. And I was loving. I was a live, laugh loving with this. So. Oh, rivals, nice.
1: I was surprised to read that Chile's the fifth largest exporter of wine in the world. I didn't know that.
2: I know. I don't think it gets the publicity. I think it's because if you're next to a place that gets a lot of publicity for their wine, you're going to get less, you know? Because I think Argentine Argentinian wines with Malbec, they're like Mm -hmm. Malbec, Argentina. Um, No, but Chile, the way, I mean, number one, like I went to several vineyards that the way that they're innovating in terms of Mm
3: -hmm.
2: not just sort of like combating climate change, but like moving one step forward with the way that, I mean, at Vic Vineyard, where I was, like they have a roof of bronze titanium. Like the entire everything about it is so thought out and well planned. And I don't love to write about wine because I I I don't like sometimes I'm like, I like it or I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, when people are like, there are top notes of this or there's Oak Barrel Age. And I've I know a decent amount from my travels, but I have to say that Chile Wine tasting in Chile it was one of the more fun places I've ever been wine tasting. Mm. Just from the sheer ingenuity also of the architecture. Vic Vineyard. Scatter my ashes there, truly. It's so, it's like one of the best vineyards I think in the world. And then Christian Vallejo keeps winning all these awards. He's Chilean and he keeps innovating and getting recognized for like excellence within the entire industry for the Reds. He's producing and some whites. But it's in the Malaju Valley, which is called like Golden Palace by like the native Mapuche people. It's So beautiful. It's a two hour drive from Santiago, which is nothing. But we took a helicopter, which when I, you can charter helicopters, t Arrow. Aero. Highly recommend. I think it was the best day of my life. We helicoptered to a vineyard, learned things, had lines, they have an infinity pool. at the, the wine is delicious. The background story is amazing. And then we flew there. That's a traveler's mm. tip I have, though, is that if you're with a group splurge on a helicopter, like you could go to Patagonia, like you can do these sort of day trips on these helicopters. So,
1: How expensive yeah, I- is it? Is, is it very reasonable to take the helicopter on these trips?
2: So I think I need so if you split it, it depends how far you're going mm-hmm. and how many people are in the helicopter. And so if you think about it, this is the way that I always look at things. Would I be able to go to this place if I didn't take a helicopter? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. How much would I be spending on gas and hotels? Yes. It's like, for me, if I was in Chile another week, I would have tried to get, I would have tried to go to Patagonia. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I would have spent an exorbitant amount of money just because I'm already there. But I actually think what Americans tend to forget is that the dollar is very strong in a lot of countries. So even when someone's charging you in U.S. dollars, which doesn't happen often in Chile, it's still not how much you would pay in New York. Like you'd be paying more, you know. So, and actually, I think they're the first independently owned, like, private aircraft organization in Chile. I met the founders. They were very inspired by Top Gun, which I loved. Like I wish, like, I, wish I bought stuff at the merch store. They were cool. Inspired by Top Gun. Okay. Yes, yeah, I saw it, was. Of- <laughs> it was.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I saw pictures of you in that helicopter. You, you look like you, you, you were a natural in that helicopter.
2: I'm calm in small aircraft. I'm just very relaxed. I don't know. It, yeah. like, puts me to sleep. But one girl, one of my friends on the trip who I love, like a champion, she, get, she got sick. We are all are connected on our headsets. And she's, like, I don't, you know, everyone's, like, trying to put the air. Everyone knows it's tentative. And then she just, like, rips out the throw-up bag and just pukes in the bag, in the middle of it. (laughs) And when this tiny helicopter, she just puts the bag away and just carries on. I was like, that is how champions, that's how kings are made.
3: Legends.
0: (laughs) So...
2: (laughs) For me, I was like,
0: napping. (laughs) Yeah, doesn't she know? You jumped off a 600-foot building, man. The helicopter was nothing for you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have a sense of peace. This is probably either very Buddhist, or... I'm Mara or something like. I'm like, if this is my time, it's my time. Or Big Fish, that movie where he's like, it's not my time. It's not my time to die yet. That's sometimes how I feel. I'm like, if this plane goes down and I'm the only casualty, like, so be it. Like, I'm in a cool place. I'm at peace with that. Right. I'm less at peace. Like, I don't know. Other things scare me. I'm not a crazy person.
0: <laughs> Davis.
2: Davis is a crazy person.
0: Dave's a crazy one between the two of us.
2: I love how we were like, let's stay super on topic, and I'm talking about dying in a plane. So I apologize. Yeah, well,
0: you know, we 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 like to detour. Someone's got to liven us up.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: You notice but- I stayed silent on at that comment, Catherine.
0: <laughs> 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 well, well, when we're having that, and, and it's interspersed with discussions of wine, it kind of, you know, it fits.
2: It fits. It's, you know, it's it's nihilistic, but it's also, I don't know. I'm, I feel a little bit, I don't feel totally fried, but it's funny thinking back to this trip because it was such a whirlwind of different experiences. Yeah. And I can honestly say, and I think it's a mixture of the people I was with is huge. Lorenzo, I loved, I love the ladies who were with us. Um, We first stayed at the Vitz and then the W. And I mean, I find usually when I travel in South America, like I just, I Espanol Paquito, but I love the food. I love the drinks. I find the people to be very, very kind and helpful and friendly and fun. And that's such, that's like a generalization, but it's also, I think you can make a general, like about a culture, you know, like I don't think that Swedish culture is super fun, but I like Sweden. But when I was there, every day was just, it felt like a vacation and less like work. And I think because the things that we were doing, which is what any vacationer would be doing, it was impossible just not to enjoy.
1: Right. What's the nightlife like there? And um, do you care to share any adult beverage experiences you had?
2: So aside from the, from the Reds, I am a huge Pisco Sour lifelong. That's my, that's my drink. Even, even though in Cusco, I've swear to you, I think at that altitude, it was actually giving me heartburn because I kept drinking them Through <laughs> that I kept drinking them. So whenever I'm in a place that will give me a pisco sour, that's what I'm ordering. And my last trip to Peru, I discovered passion fruit pisco sours, which are a thing, but mainly in Chile, I was drinking pisco sour, the Ritz Carlton bar. So we first get at the Ritz at the Ritz in Santiago. And then the Debbie, which is great because they have such different energies, but they both were sort of, they're both were amazing in their own way. But the Ritz Carlton bar reminded me of like the Bowery Hotel, like in New York, you know, that loungy area where like it's a bar, but someone's playing the piano or people are mingling over here. Someone's playing a game, you know, it's very loungy and vibey and cool. And I love it. It's dark wood paneling. No, I don't know if there's ever a time when it closes, you know, I think it's always kind of open. They have live, they have some sort of live music every night. I love that. Um, and then I mentioned the rooftop bar over at the W, but like, that's, you can always tell when it's like, are just visitors going here or are locals coming here too? Because at the rooftop bar, that was like a scene to the point that the Mm -hmm. last night I was like, I, I need to hibernate from this for a second. Cause it is, it's, it's like a vibe. It's almost like Surf Lodge in Montauk dialed up more, you know, Mm. and the music, but there are different sections. Like there's a rooftop pool and then a DJ area and then these amazing heat lamps where you can just, I actually drank, I think a painkiller there, a Virgin Islands tribute, but that definitely was like in both of those places. I was like, this is interesting because these are hotel bars that locals also go to and people would go out to. Because sometimes yeah. a hotel bar is just like, there's no other way around. It's sad. It's like these people don't know anyone in the city yeah. and they're sitting there.
0: Right. Wow. Did you uh, tell us a little bit about the architecture? A lot of cities have this unique architecture to them that's part of their culture from their past. I saw in your article, you also mentioned there's some cobblestone streets around this the part of the inner city area. Give it. Tell me a little bit about the architecture. Is there any distinct architecture? Forget the, the, the big, tall building, but just, you know, something that's uniquely Chilean.
2: I was interested. It was interesting to me how there's like a colonial, there is a colonial aesthetic and then just very suddenly just very modern buildings, which I think you noticed when you looked at the skyline and you were like this crazy, humongous, like skinny little building is like shooting up so much higher against I mean, essentially, I guess that's the Chilean equivalent of the Eiffel Tower back in the day. But yeah, the juxtaposition between, you know, the preservation of the colonial architecture and the, a lot of sleek edges, a lot of modern, like I said, like Santiago is very glamorous. Like it just, it felt, it feels very glamorous. Um, And on a street by street basis, It really depended. Because I think like Panama City, for example, the old part of Panama City, I would say is like one of the most romantic cities in the world. Manaus in the Amazonas in Brazil, I feel the same way. Because I don't like modern architecture. And that's just something that I'm, I live in New York City. I deal with it, but it's not my favorite. So I liked San Lucia, the Santa Lucia walk, because you're like, that in itself is so historic, but I like those parts of the city that have survived almost. But then it's interesting to see, and I've been learning this more. I love Mexican haciendas. And I, I attribute that originally to Mexico, but you know, that also came over, I guess, partially influenced in Spain. And they definitely have those as well in Chile. But the, the biggest things I saw, like the most striking buildings and design were very modern, very sleek, elegant, crisp, clean lines. Like, I went to, um, what is the name of this particular vineyard? There were two that I went to that I really loved. Um, It's called Vina Hadas in Pirkei, which 100% everyone needs to do a day trip to Pirkei. But truly, there's like an underground tasting room with a fountain. And then, so you pull up and it's beautiful countryside and andes in the distance and it's all lush and green. Like, where is the tasting room? It's underground. And then it almost felt like I was in like a well-preserved Roman cemetery in the best way possible. Like everything is stone, you know, just everything is well-considered with Vic, Vic Hotel. I think that what they do that's smart that I've seen at least is that the nature, the surroundings are so beautiful that they really, and I saw this in Galapagos, they let um, Epikai in the Galapagos, like these really luxury places they sink into the natural environment. They use the natural woods. They use the na- They maximize the windows. They tell when the sun is setting, you know, and that was the type of architecture that I was impressed by the most from the modern style.
0: I'm actually looking at these pictures, by the way, uh, on the story that you wrote, the Vina Jerez de Parque. The, the views are breathtaking. you got one that you've got a. Uh, a glass of wine in the uh, foreground, and then it just it kind of expands out to this lush area with the mountains in the distance with the snow. That had to be an awesome view.
2: That was only like an hour and forty five uh-huh. minutes away from Santiago. You know, I think that's what's that's what's so unique. I think too about the city is because I do think people think of the extremes as north or the south that they need to go to, but the Chilean countryside, like these places, are so beautiful there. Trying to think of what American city, I guess San Francisco, even though that city annoys me sometimes. Like you can go to Napa, you know what I mean? Like you can mm-hmm. do Tahoe. But I think this is on a different scale because when we went out, particularly flying and driving, I got two senses of it. But a lot of these areas, like there is just open countryside and it's still like very well preserved. And Pierkay is sort of, they call it sometimes the home of Chilean folklore. Like there's a lot of traditional Chilean heritage that is um, preserved in Pirque. And that was like, just like one of the best day trips. It was in the country. It was only 40 minutes driving. And I felt like I was so far away. You know, the traditional Chilean dancing. We went to lunch at Lo Pirque restaurant which is a restaurant cultural center, but they show off like the local dances, Chilean horsemanship. There was this game we played with dice. That was really fun. It was a drinking game. Oh, and I learned about, oh, I know you, you know, had fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> Why no sours? It's called, it's called, it's Pisco sours, but with wine. I forgot the name of it actually at the moment, but she will give it to you. the owner of this restaurant. I want to be her when I'm, I want to be her now. She's so cool, but she's like, yeah, this is something that originally, it started smaller and then we were like, oh, let's get more of the community involved um, in terms of there is a lot of, you know, just skills and just a lot of athleticism with like the dancing and the and the horsemanship. And then it's just become a larger cultural thing. Like a poncho can cost $10,000. Like your poncho that you're wearing on horseback if you're Chilean is the equivalent of like a Scottish quilt mixed with like, I don't know, a crown. I got a poncho from the Mapuche. There's this place, it's called Artisans de Chile and they're like indigenous made objects and clothing. And I was convinced by a Chilean man that I could rock it in New York City. I haven't yet. Just learning this. I tried. I rocked it in France. I wore it in France.
1: I read where Chile has the world's largest swimming pool, some 1,000 yards in length and 115 feet deep did you get a chance to go there and what what's that experience like i i just can't imagine the attraction for a swimming pool that large
2: i can't imagine it either i think of bondi bondi beach in australia you know they have that famous swimming pool which i think looks really cool and it's right mm. on the ocean i didn't go there i I can't fathom, but also here's the thing is I don't know how much like, well, I, I did just go surfing in Lima, which was fun, but it was wetsuit in the spring. So maybe people are like, I want an ocean that's temperature. It's the same. I think it's the same instinct that built the tallest building in South America.
0: Uh, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And they always got to have the biggest everything.
2: Yeah. And good for them. Why not? Someone needs to do it.
1: But I can imagine, I mean, I can imagine a very tall building fully occupied or almost fully occupied as opposed to a swimming pool that large. How many people go there at any one given time?
2: See, Chile Chile is full of mysteries and surprises because this now is something that I'm curious about. But I've been Mm -hmm. curious going, but it's funny because I was worried, in full disclosure, you guys are both travelers, you fully understand. If you go somewhere and you're like, I didn't see everything I wanted to see. Like, I wish I'd stayed long. I had no opportunity. Like, I guess I could have extended my trip, but like, I didn't really have the timing or whatever. And I hadn't planned for it. I left feeling like, damn, that was awesome. Like, I didn't feel any like, oh, I wish I'd gone to Patagonia or done. Cause you know, some of those places are so iconic that people are like, oh, you would go and not go there. And my whole thing was like, Santiago was amazing. And what I saw and like the countryside and the stories I'm writing, I think a lot of people maybe in South America know about it, and some Americans there are definitely Americans who are aware, but like Kirke and the Golden Valley, it's like those places are gorgeous, and they're and they are just outside the city, and the city is fun, and I like going, I like learning. We've talked about like I like making friends, and I was able to make friends with my Spanish at this point now
0: it's fun. Wow. and just to put this in a little bit of perspective for those listening. Santiago is not a small city. There's 6 million plus people that live in that city. It it is not something that, you know, it's one of the largest cities basically in the Western Hemisphere. You know, once you get past New York and Mexico City and Toronto, it's huge.
2: Yeah. Well, I recommend staying in, um, to stay in, oh my God. I literally just wrote this down to remind myself but, oh, Las Condas, like the, the Metro, Metropolitana region, like that area, because it is, I mean, I felt the same way in Lima. I was in Miraflores and to go to the old part city in Lima, the amount of traffic and it, it would have just been impossible. So, but I did love where I stayed and I thought like it was accessible to like the historic landmarks, easy to also get in and out, easier to get in and out of the city because traffic can be a thing, but also very walkable. So
3: yeah, what time yeah, of year did you go?
2: I went in, um, October,
3: October. So that's basically kind of October, like a shoulder November. season.
2: Yeah. October, November. Yeah. And the weather was great. I mean, I find that when you are in the Southern hemisphere, it's just more extreme all the time. You know, like when you're hot, you're like in Peru when I was hot, it was really hot. In Chile, actually, it was like perfect. Actually visiting in the fall because I feel like I'm quoting something from um, from I forget the name of that movie where it's like it's the perfect weather. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. I think from Miss Congeniality, but that's truly how I felt. Just light quilted jacket, pants, one sweater. It was perfect. You were never too hot or too cold. I think that's the perfect time because summer gets really hot. I have Lorenzo, who is like my guide. There and he was so lovely. He was saying it gets, becomes like hundred degrees. Maybe that's why they got that swimming pool.
3: <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe. How many times have you been to Chile, and um, have have your experiences been different on every trip that you go?
2: So this is my first time. Oh, it's and your
1: first time,
3: okay. So
2: that's why I have also felt like I know you guys can relate to this. But you'll read about a place, you know it. You know, you have an idea about it, you're curious about it, but you don't really know until you go. And then everything yeah. sort of unveils. like, just learning, I mean, the Museo de Colombia was huge, you know, to see, okay, like, this is how people originally, which I've heard before and I'm learning more and more about, you know, how the, how the indigenous culture is basically, the overlap between them, essentially, mm-hmm. and the different tribes and where they came from. But just learning more about the history of Chile and then how those traditions are kept alive today. But then also just there's a joie de vivre. I had fun there. You know, sometimes I think, you know, Michael lives in Las Vegas sometimes and he can vouch for this. Sometimes they're just our places that are fun.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: That's truly how I, that's truly how I felt. I was like, I could live in Santiago. Truly really, it's 40 minutes to go from an amazing vineyard to like downtown immediately downtown. Like you are, while the nature is so, the countryside is so accessible. So.
1: The countryside seems to be just in the suburbs, not very far away from the city.
2: But it doesn't feel like suburbs. It feels like city and then rural. Like I think a lot of people live in Santiago because Mm -hmm. that is like obviously where a lot of jobs are. And that is um, where a lot of people, that's where I'm actually going to just double check this for you. Because I remember, because I believe it's really high. Um, But outside of Santiago, 85% of the country's population lives in urban areas. Half of them live in greater Santiago. 40% live in greater Santiago. So it's like, has like, yeah. So in Chile, Chile is not a small country. So you can imagine how that's dispersed outward. So, yeah, you don't have, like, I love New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. But you don't have the sort of sprawl feeling. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, when I first talked to you about Pirke, I was like, it was two hours. It was 40 minutes. Like, that's nuts that it mm. changed so quickly in such a quick period of time.
0: Well, to follow up on Dave's question, when you go back to Chile, where are you going this time? Well, I know I you're going to,
2: back. I have to go back. I I want to go back to Vineyard. I would go back to... To Vic, to Vineyard Vic, because we signed our names on a barrel that's aging two years. So in two years' time, I have to check on it because I think that's really cool. <laughs> I do want to go back to Santiago. I love like Lorenzo, who was um he was sort of hosting us for part of it. And he did he was just so much fun and great. And like we've kept in touch. So I would want to go hang out in Santiago. And then everyone just says this and it's fine, but I do need to get to Patagonia I just think there are some places you just have to go
3: yeah
2: like everywhere in the world essentially I want to go but I've never been somewhere that everyone hypes up and is like it's just going to be so great it's going to be so great and then I don't like it or I myself hype it up and I don't like it that never happens to me
1: in terms of culture and fashion and how does it compare to some of the other major cities uh within South America
2: I think that people say that Chileans and Argentinians, when there's, when people from other countries, I love getting into like geo gossip, you know, I love being like <laughs> people in Ecuador, like, what do you really think about people in Colombia? Do you know what I mean? Like, give me that, give me, yeah. like, what do you actually feel? Argentina yeah.
0: and, and uh, Chile is exactly where a lot of the Germans settled after World War II to get away from. Repercussions from what was going to happen to them on yeah. one hand. And some of them just wanted out of Germany because it was literally destroyed.
2: So that was actually the most, it was shocking to me. I know that sounds silly because you're like people can be all different colors, remember? But when I think of South American, even though you've got the Spanish mix, I've never seen a place that had such a European mix, you know? Um, and that was interesting. But then also at the Pre-Columbian Museum, there like the curator who was totally no bullshit and I respected her because I don't think she liked me. I think she begrudgingly by the end had to a little bit. But I was like, spell this out for me. Cause I get so confused. Like she's like, I'm like, when did the Mapuche when did the Mapuche people get here? Okay. And then the Spanish people came, and then what was going on over here in Peru? You know, like I'm so fascinated with indigenous history. And while some countries, I think the indigenous culture is such a big part of their identity, like Peru, everyone wants to do ayahuasca in the forest, you know? But you do go to, and I went to Lake Titicaca. We need to do a podcast on this because this was, people even know what America was. But like, they've combined Catholicism with their indigenous religion. Like, they're just alive. But now, if you want to even go to a ceremony or if you want to go to to a shaman, you have to be invited. And even the curator was like, I used to be invited. I don't know if I would be anymore. Like they are they've been at the fringes of society, sort of like how Native Americans are in the US.
0: I'm a history junkie, so I I pretty much knew about the 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 uh, Germans coming to that region of the world. I think a lot of the reasons they went there is because it was an escape. It was escapism, it was isolated, especially Santiago's not, you know, uh and to Some of the indigenous people that probably were there, you know, because back, you know, hundreds of years ago, they would cross borders because there was no such thing as a quote unquote a border separating countries. But Chile is not an easy border to cross, especially from the north of the Atacama mountain range staring you in the face.
2: Yeah. It's it's not one of
0: those. Yeah, you're stuck.
2: Well, you know why Americans are primarily white and we're not primarily brown is because our the people who came over from England brought their wives. And also, I had some ancestors in the Mayflower. One was a reverend. One was like a total lout who slept with everyone's wife and drank a lot. And I actually, <laughs> I respect him. He fell off the boat and people didn't even want him back on. But, you know, these are people who were like fleeing from religious pr- persecution, a.k.a. they were, you know, my ancestors were hanging witches and they were insular. But in South America, when I mean, from people came from Spain, they didn't come with their wives, number one. And number two, the people who are South American didn't look so dissimilar from the Northern Africans, from Spanish people. It was just so they intermarried. And that is why that, that's why it's, there isn't a reservation situation. Do you know what I mean? Like even with Chile, when I'm talking about, it's nothing compared to the the United States, but even just talking about that and talking about it in Peru too, Sky and Peru was like, how do you know that? I was like, I was just in Chile. I'm talking, like, I'm curious, you know, and here. I think that that is one thing, though, that is fascinating to see how much indigenous influence is there versus European. But I do think that Chile, yes, it's really sad that the you know that it became so white. Well, it's hard because at this point it's been hundreds of years, so you can call right. it whitewash. But also, you know, the Spanish one, You know what I mean? So. But there are some amazing, so like that. My brother Mark, who's a radical, I told you he worked for Bernie Sanders. He worked for the Working Families of America. And now he's got his master's degree in social social work, and he's going to literally help people. He loves Chile because they're socialist, they're communist party or whatever. He listens to Chilean communist folk songs, and when I was there. I, it's funny. I've got three siblings. You never know how someone reacts to one country or another. I got my brother, my other brother, because it was his birthday, and my dad, a poncho. I didn't get one for Mark. Devastated. You know, because he's up on the current climate of Chile. And right. he finds it to be fascinating. So there's a lot more to recommend it. I also, it reminds me of going to the Caribbean when I was at the opening of the Calanego Center in Dominica. Or, you know, in the expansion of the museum in Barbados. People that it is a moment where it's more exciting to me. Not more exciting, but it's more, as a travel writer, I feel more passionate. People know about the Louvre. But like this museum, this pre-Columbian museum, and this one I also just went to in Lima, which was insane. We'll do another podcast. It has. It's meaningful. It's special. And 200 years from now, it's going to be another Louvre. Do you know what I mean? I think that history arcs forward like that.
1: I looked at some of the facts on Chile. You know, doing a little bit of my research before the podcast, and I found it strange that Chile is the best place on the on Earth for stargazing.
2: Oh, oh my gosh, yes.
1: really nice! Did you I get a chance that. to do that?
2: I noticed that in Santiago because I was always in the city and I looked up and it'd be like, "What in the hell?" Yes, because I do think it's because where you are on the planet, on planet Earth, because like as we talked about, Santiago is a there are bright lights. It's a big, bustling city. So the fact that I was seeing stars through those lights.
1: I was, I was going to answer that question. How were you able to see that?
2: I don't know. I think it's, okay, so there are different dark sky regions. It's, some people are calling it sort of like a, a fake designation because people, some places that have really dark skies are like, oh, we've been in like paperwork forever. But I think I was talking, I do remember talking about it with someone in Chile. I think also because there just isn't a lot of pollution. Like I love China. I love Mexico. But Jalisco, you know, is so beautiful, but you can never fully see the mountains because of the smog. China, I was so lucky that the, I had a blue sky at the, for the Great Wall Day. And then Chile, I think it was a combination of that. And then also if you look where it is on the planet. Like you go, da- you go down deeper, you're in Antarctica. And also I do believe, this is ridiculous, maybe, but I think where you are equatorially, Everyone else is impacting you. I know that one person's bad habits impacts the globe. But I also think that when you're down that far south and the winds and the oceans are moving certain ways, you're maybe less affected to the pollution that's happening in Detroit. Maybe I'm wrong. This is just my response to it.
0: Actually, I don't think you are wrong. I actually think you're correct. I think that um, you know, you're not that far from, like you said, uh, South America. You're also not that far from the Pacific Ocean. No. I mean, you're literally right there. And and think about this. What other population center that far south in South America is there? You know, you'd have to jump over to Argentina to go to, you know, Rio or something like that. But there's really not a big population center there that would actually lend itself to polluting the air and the qualities. And I'm sure with the trade winds and the mountains and stuff, because, you know, I live in Southern California, you know, half the time. And I remember a lot of times, there are certain days where you could stand on the beach in Santa Monica, it's just as crisp and as clear as ever. But if you went 20 miles inland, but with all the ocean current blowing the the smogness of inland, you could see the mountains and they're right there.
2: Exactly. Like it's so dependent. And yeah, if you look at, because Chile is funny because it's got its little slice, you know, it goes down to the tip. And then when you see like the countries that obviously Argentina, which I mentioned, like, I'm dying to go to Argentina. I hope people don't listen to this podcast and they're like, don't bring her here. She's going <laughs> to
3: be on <laughs> the She's expose
2: us. <laughs> Just sharing the truth that I feel. But like, if you go north, like I was in where I was two weeks ago, Lake Titicaca, which by the way, this is hilarious. I think I mentioned this to you. Everyone in Chile was like, it's so touristy. It's all right. It's touristy. I didn't see another, I didn't see another American. I was in places people didn't even know what America was. Do you know what I mean? Like people didn't even speak Spanish. They spoke the indigenous language, but what I'm saying is it was spectacular. And it's, that is what's North. And then you've got the desert. So you're surrounded by these beautiful natural regions. That I do think impacts just like the light sky. I do think Chile, I need to go to Patagonia. I've heard the Patagonia side in Chile is better than the one in Argentina. Like the really famous parts of it, like the snow capped. Um, mountains etc. but i'm really happy that i went to santiago and i also think that my travel in ecuador in brazil and in peru informs how much what i got out of it too in mm-hmm. chile i really love south america i think a lot of i think a lot of americans don't go it's like a stereotype for Brits cuz everyone in europe is always going like this Jasmine, who I loved, who was one of my um, hosts in Germany, she like spent a year. She dated an Argentinian, fluent in Spanish. And this guy I dated in college, who was British, he went to Argentina all of the time. And then he would go to Ecuador. I think for some reason, because we have Mexico is obviously a gift. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I love Mexico. I think that people sometimes don't go further. Now we're at Costa Rica and Colombia. But if you think about now, Peru is trendy, but it's so inexpensive which is crazy for the quality. It's so strikingly beautiful. And it is so close. It's the same time zone. It's the easiest flight. Wow.
0: Yep. Uh, Everything you said, I echo 100%. Um, Yeah, I've never understood. And you're right. Costa Rica and Panama in particular, and maybe Colombia really hit the radar in the last, what, decade or so? Prior to that, most Americans would stop at Mexico or go to the Caribbean. And that's it. But for for yeah. that part of the yeah. world, you know, and otherwise they're going to Europe.
2: I think South America has the same perception problem as Africa does continent wise. And right. this is how, what I mean. Last night I was talking to my friend Lawrence and he was like, I really want to go to safari in Africa. And I'm like, where in Africa? It's like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know where to start. You know, he's like, I wouldn't know. He was like, I feel like I got to do 20. He's like, I think it's going to cost $20,000. And I was like, that's not true. I was like, it doesn't cost that much. I think people get overwhelmed and they they because it is like, a, I think both Africa and South America, what they have in common in the countryside is they're sweepingly gorgeous. And also that people don't really know a lot about how to get around necessarily where to stay. Like, I hope my articles shed light on it, but I'm like, you could, you can go to Kenya for six days and you can spend less than you would spend in Paris on a long weekend. And same with Peru. Like my parents, they had to reschedule their trip because my dad was sick. He's fine now. But they went to Panama for a week. But they're like, Peru, I think we need three weeks. And I'm like, you don't. But there's this misconception that right. you do. Wow. And flights are cheap. It's like, that's what I was saying about Chile. I'll go back. Like, it's not like you're there and you have to see every single thing. You know?
1: How did you get there from, uh, from the U.S.?
2: Um, JFK. From the
1: nor- uh, JFK, uh, got,
2: direct flight? Got, yeah, Latam, love them. Love them. Okay. They upgraded me. I think Latam gives you space. They give you unlimited drinks. I love Latam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the drinks are the best part. And yeah. Well, for me, the space is actually more important than the drinks even.
2: And, you know, what's funny is that people were very – I spoke – a lot of people speak English, but, like, people – wherever you go, more – if you go outside of city, people aren't speaking that much English. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think – so, it was also – it was interesting for me to be practicing. Now I've learned Spanish phrases in like four different countries and speaking some of them in Chile, they were like, that is an Andean Bush language that makes no sense to me. So, but like for me now, I think yo hablo espanol muy bien. Like I may actually coming out of this trip, it's my fourth South American country. I'm like, I kind of want to get fluent in Spanish.
0: (laughs) Don't blame you. Especially when you got a third of the world's population that speak it anyway.
2: Everyone speaks it. I don't understand why it wasn't mandatory. I did French. I love Paris. I love all of France. But I I was in Tunisia and my French was worthless there. It's because it's different. like, where am I going to speak French? Maybe Saint that. But the Caribbean is so far from France, they've got their own dialect. Like right. I've always loved to hear people in South America being like, Spanish people don't speak correct Spanish. Like Latin Spanish and Mexican Spanish is a totally sort of different thing, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially since I'm now living in a house of the lady who was born and raised in Spain and who speaks real Spanish. Uh, yeah. I, I, she she actually picks up on my accent when I speak to her in Spanish. She said you pronounce certain words like a real Spaniard. Well, I lived in Spain as a child, so the memory of the, those pronunciations have actually yeah. stuck with me. Um, but like when I go to Mexico and I listen to them speak Spanish, I can tell the difference. And I my ear is starting to get a little sensitive to that now. My only thing is, is I wish they'd slow the hell down so I can understand the oh.
2: well, like, like, vocabulary
0: most of the time.
2: Yeah. Cause you probably should both become fluent in Spanish. I think this is something we can do by 2025. I'm like, despacito, por favor. Because I had this moment in France. I met this guy who speaks Spanish, French, English. And he was like, I lived in Argentina for a while the Argentina keeps coming up. He's like, here's my thing. Cause I was speaking French. She goes, I don't speak to sound smart. I don't speak to sound good. I speak to be understood. And that's how I speak Spanish. And I'm getting better. Like my friend who I really love Alexa though, she was trying to teach me about conjugations. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to get, I need to be able to like get my way through the day. And he was like, if you just keep doing that and practicing, then you do get better.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I learned, when I was a child and learned Spanish, I didn't learn it from a book. I learned it from living on the streets of Madrid. And I find now that I'm sitting here trying to study it on Duolingo and listening to my girlfriend's mother, it's actually, I wish I had just been thrown into the culture and picked it up that way.
2: Well, it's funny, everyone in America, Spanish words, because I, when I was in Peru, people did not speak, a lot of people didn't speak English at all. And my broken Spanish and their broken Spanish, we were like fully vibing. But I was like, they were like, this was when I knew I got good. I was I was um, negotiating over an, an alpaca sweater, you know, which I was like, no negotiation. He was like, I didn't win the negotiation. But then he was like, where did you study in school? And I was like, no, like, fui a a Chile, es mi segundo vez a Perú. And they were like, Tienes, like, we understand you. Yeah. And I was like, damn, this is the beginning, you know? Yeah. You got it. Because everyone, fuego, gracias, amigos, adios, cerveza, everyone in America says Spanish words. It's part of our vocabulary all of the time in a way that French words are too, but not to the same extent.
0: No. And and they're so common, we don't even know that they're there.
2: It enrages me when American travelers don't try to say, hi, please, thank you in the native language, in the local language.
0: It ain't that hard. (laughs)
2: In Germany, it's harder. I felt ashamed because when I first got there, I was so jet lagged and I felt, I felt dirty going up to them and having to be like, hi, sorry, I don't speak German. And they're like, it's okay. We speak English. But then obviously by later, I was like, hello, guten tag, like blah, blah, blah. Doing, writing on my phone. It's just a sign of respect. And it's astounding to me how few people even, all you have to do is learn to say, hi, please. Thank you. Bye. And where's the bathroom best people love you people are really really kind if you do it if you try
0: yeah they really are and that that, that's a universal thing it's not i mean it's just something we americans with our arrogance we don't seem to understand it's one of the reasons why i was so envious of my dad who spoke seven languages and every time he went yeah he did every time he went somewhere he picked up the language and he was really good at it
2: did he just speak? What was his method? Did he just start talking?
0: He just started talking. He never learned it formally. I mean, my dad was stationed in Morocco. So he picked up Arabic and French while he was there. Uh, my dad was stationed in Germany. He picked up German while he was there. He picked up Vietnamese while he was in Vietnam. Um, and we, we, of course, we lived in Spain for three years. My dad was fluent in Spanish. I mean, he just picked it up and he never, and he told me, so I never studied. I just dropped myself in the culture and we figured it out. <laughs>
2: So your father is actually my role model because I've been feeling because with Spanish, when I left, I was like, I'm, this is not bad. You know, if mm-hmm. I just keep going to Spanish speaking countries and keep speaking, we could get somewhere. But also I'm not shy. When I see a stranger on the street somewhere, I mean, even say in New York, I'm like, we'll just chat at people. But I'll be like, hola, como esta? And Cantara, I don't care that they're going to speak back and I have no idea, you know, no. literally. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I've learned how to say I don't understand. <laughs> and, uh, they, they figure it out.
2: <laughs> no, I love
0: Yeah. Yep, gotcha. Anyway, on that note, Catherine, we've kept you for over an hour. Um, so we're going to let you go. And that is it for this edition of TripCast360. We want to thank our guest, Katherine Parker-Magier. And as uh, we've said at the beginning, you can check out her website, CatherineParkerMagier.com and subscribe to her newsletter. Uh, many of the show topics that we discuss here at TripCast360 and Catherine's Travels, Some of this is posted on her website with some great content and some great stories. So on that note, on behalf of my dear friend Dave Cumberbatch in a freezing New York City, this is Michael Gordon Bennett in an equally freezing Las Vegas, Nevada, saying so long and we will see you in 2023.